Hey guys, do you think I would ever doubt you? I was just trying to relate it to the level of teaching you normally get. It wasn't about you, really. I, um, I have total faith in you. Actually, though, this is going to be, um, it, it is a little theoretical, um, what we're going to talk about. And what I mean by theoretical, it's conceptual. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a map. And it is a map of something that um, we call stages of faith. And here's how it goes. In, in stages of faith, you know, like in any other growth, the Bible says that we start out, you know, we're born again. That means that we're totally new in the faith. And then what happens is we go through this process. And just like developmental stages in a person happen, that happens with us in the stages of faith. So... What we're going to do is we're going to walk through these, and there's four of them, and I'm just going to hop right into it. Okay, stage number one. Some of you will find yourself here in this one. All of us have been here because this is where life starts. Stage one is the stage that I'll call non-faith. Non-faith, what that means is that when all of us are born, we just sort of show up. We don't know how we got here, and we start to negotiate life. And we start to kind of figure out life, and we start to think, well, this is the way I want to do this, and this is what I want to be, and, and we go down these paths. And basically, in non-faith, we are God. I mean, you might not wake up in the morning and go to the mirror and worship yourself. I live um, in L.A. People do do that there, actually. <laughs> Not in Chicago. And so I don't mean so much self-worship as the big thing here is self-rule. Self-rule. Basically meaning we kind of answer to ourselves and we figure out what I want to do with my life and we figure out the ways that I want to do this and this and this and this. And, you know, sometimes for many people, a lot of life goes very well. But what happens is you hit a crisis. Now, there's a lot of different kinds of crises that that kind of launch us, you know, into this shaky ground in stage one. Some of them don't even mean that life is going bad. Some very successful people will hit a crisis of meaning. A crisis of meaning. And they'll, they'll, they'll feel all these blessings and all this success. Maybe their career has gone really well and they have a wonderful family and everything is great. And then they sit out at night and they look up and they wonder, is this it? I mean, did I, have I gotten to the sort of pinnacle and this is all there is in life? Or they wonder if there's anybody that gave them all these blessings. Bill and I were having dinner one night in a, a restaurant near here. And we, we got to the end of the dinner and the server came over and we asked for the check. And the server says, well, there won't be a check. And we said, why? And he said, someone took care of your dinner. And they just said, hope you enjoy it, appreciate what you do, and... They paid for it. We said, who was it? And he said, I don't know. He just paid for it and left. And it was an incredible blessing. And first we're like, that is really nice. But then, you know what happened moments after that? 
we both had this experience of who do we thank? Like, we've got this blessing and this gift, and there was something, some way in which life is designed that we know that we've been given to, and part of the meaning of life is to be connected to where good things come from. And so sometimes even successful people hit this, what does it all mean? And sometimes we hit a crisis of wanting a, a, a purpose larger than ourselves that transcends my own kingdom and give ourselves give ourselves to something larger than ourselves. And there's a lot of different crises in here, but another one is sometimes the way that we do it doesn't work and we hit chaos or hit bottom. The way that I came into a deeper experience of going from non-faith to both feet in was when I was in college. And I don't know if I've told you much of my story, but I'm going to share a little bit of it a few times today. What happened to me was I, I grew up and I had a God. My God was golf. And I grew up playing competitive golf and played a lot of, a lot of um, golf tournaments all the time. And I traveled and did all that. And in high school, I got pretty successful at it, and I was winning a bunch of stuff, and then I started getting recruited by a lot of colleges, and ultimately went to one that was um, a really, really great golf school. And I had this future that I wanted to do somewhere in that game, and what happened was I had a hand injury, and right Basically, when I started my college career, I had a lot of pain, and I would play well and then not play well, and I couldn't hold on to the club, and I'd struggle for a couple of years. I went to a million doctors, and finally, at the end of a couple of years, I had to give it up. And my world, my dream, what I'd oriented my life around, went away. And I hit bottom. I had a breakup with a girlfriend right about the same time. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life and I was sitting there and, and, and every day and if any of you have ever been depressed some of you don't know what this is like I, if, I know, if I knew then what I knew now I would have been in a hospital and I'll just tell you I was literally every day I did not know how I was going to get up and go through that day and this went on for months and months and months deeply deeply depressed but not only was I depressed I didn't know a way out I didn't know where to go from there. And so finally I was at the end of myself. I was sitting in my dorm room one day. And I looked up on the shelf and I saw my Bible there. That I really, I mean I'd taken it to college with me, but it wasn't top on my list. And I felt some sort of something that made me reach out. And I went over and I picked it up and I sat down. And I was thinking about all these things like... How do you find what you're supposed to do in life? And how do you find a career? And, and, and how do you make a relationship work? And how do you find the girl? And how do you know? And, and worst of all, how am I going to feel better? I opened up the Bible. Didn't know really where I was looking. Opened it up, and you've heard the phrase, a verse jumped off the page. And that's what happened. And it was the verse in Matthew 6 that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all, the, all his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you as well. 
What that said to me was, maybe I've had it backwards. Maybe I've tried to kind of direct my life and get all the things in place, but I'm supposed to go to God first, and then he will guide me. And that's what it said. And so I said, well, I've tried everything. I'll try this. So I walked across campus. I went into this um, chapel. It was a cold winter day. And I walked down in the front, and I said, God, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, I need you. And I will give myself to you, and I'll do whatever you tell me. But i got to get out of this. I need help. I knew at that moment I had done something that I had never done. I knew that I had jumped out of the plane. And if the chute didn't open, I didn't know what I was going to do. Because, you know, everybody, I think, or a lot of people think, well, you know, there's a God out there, and maybe someday if I ever really get in trouble, I'll turn it into one of those nutcases. And I had a problem. Well, it wasn't so much God. God was cool. It was his friends that I thought were weird, you know. (laughs) But this time, I had even said, I'll become one of those wackos. Just get me out of this. Nothing happened. I'll never forget that moment. I I gave myself to God, and I was expecting to get zapped, you know, like they do on TV. You've you've done the channel surfing late at night. And I thought something was going to happen. I was going to see lightning or get zapped or have a vision or something. And nothing happened. And I'll never, ever forget that moment of the stark emptiness and blackness because it was a literal coming to the end of my way of doing life. And if there wasn't another way, I knew this didn't work for me. So I just said something equivalent of, God, well, you know, if you're there, call me. I knew I jumped. I went back to my dorm room and not too long, phone rings. I answer it, and it's a friend of mine, fraternity brother, and he said, I don't know what made me think of you. He said, you are the last person I would think of for this. He said, but for some reason I keep thinking I should call you. He said, we're starting a Bible study at the fraternity house, and I wanted to invite you. I said, I'll be there. (laughs) And I went. And then I entered out of a non-faith way of really thinking about life in any substantial way. And I entered into stage two, which is kind of the first phase when we jump in the boat. And there's a lot of different things you can call this, but I'm going to call it external and institutional, meaning that we jump into the truth. And this truth is this external reality that we've never been in before. And we find for the first time that the uncertainty and the loss of meaning and the not knowing a purpose and all of that, that there really is a God. And it's really true. And there is a way to live life. And we start to learn discipline and rules. I don't know why I did that. We don't learn calligraphy. We just learn discipline and rules. <laughs> but what I mean by this is we learn all of the disciplines, the, the prayer and Bible study, and i got to go to church and all of this kind of stuff. And we learn for the first time, I'm not the one that makes up right and wrong. God has some ways and some truths, and these can help me, like, like, like Bill was saying earlier, even in my finances and even in choosing a career. And then if I've got gifts, and 
Oh my gosh, do you guys remember taking that step? The security that we feel. And if you've never taken that step, you just got to do this. You don't have to do the universe on your own. There is a God, then we take a step, and we find incredible, incredible, incredible truths. And I'll never forget going from lost to being found and the security of that. And we learn right from wrong and what we're for and what we're against. And, and the other part of this is we start to change some external things. And we start to change behaviors and we start to change some of the ways that we've been living that, that we might have thought were okay but we're finding are really destructive to me. And we just have this new place to land. I thank God for stage two. But, but, here's the downside of stage two, or the limitations. Have you ever known any people stuck here? Where they get goofy? You can't, if you stay in stage two too long, you get, you go from like tolerable to intolerable. Because I remember when I went and I was so excited here and I got the truth and I went back to my fraternity and going, guys, you've got to come to Jesus. And, you know, we, everything's kind of like a lot of God talk and, 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 and there's some downsides. One of the downsides is we kind of get goofy to seekers. You ever been around any Christians like this? Some of you are nudging each other. Some of you are brought by one of these people today. <laughs> My wife and I moved um, about 12 years ago um, from Orange County to Los Angeles. And we had just had a new baby, and we were settling in this, this neighborhood, and a, a new couple moved in right next door to us after we had just gotten there. And so we thought, well, we'll reach out to this couple, and we'll invite them over, and we had them over for dinner, and they had a new baby as well. And so it's it going to be great, and I've always got, you know, outreach on my mind anyway. And so we, we had this dinner, and I'm asking them about their families and all that. And, and the woman said, well, I've got this sister that does this and this one that does this. She had like 50 sisters. And then she says, but I had this one sister that is one of those crazy Christians. You know, the wacko born-again types? I go, yeah, I know those people. She goes, you know, everything's Jesus and born again and all, all this God talk and all this stuff. She says, it drives me crazy. I'm sitting there nodding, you know, note to self. <laughs> so we just become friends and, and we're, you know, doing the new parenting thing together. And, and he's a financial guy and we have a lot of business talks and play golf and all this stuff. And we're just becoming community, not too much crazy Christian talk at all. And so about eight months later... I'm standing in the den, which you can see from the front door, and she just walks in the front door like we would do in each other's houses, and she walks in the front door, but this time was different. I'm standing back there, and she walks in, and she sees me, and she goes, I said, what? She goes, you're one of them. I said, one of what? She said, you're one of those crazy Christians. I said, of course I am. Can't you tell? Who outed me? She goes, my sister. The crazy one I told you about. 
I said, what happened? She said, I was talking to her on the phone. And she said, well, tell me about your neighborhood. And she said, well, there's a couple that lives next door. And we're pretty good friends. Oh, what do they do? Well, I think he's a psychologist. He might have written a book or something. I don't know. He doesn't talk about it much. And the sister said, well, what, what's his name? <laughs> and so I told my sister your name. And she goes, praise Jesus. I have been praying for you for years. God has brought a Christian family right in your midst. Can't you see the work of the Lord? I'm going, this is a setback. So I said, isn't it? it, Oh, gosh. um, It was a setback. What happened was, just to fill you in on the story, about two years later, two and a half years maybe, we were throwing a surprise uh, birthday party for her husband, and um, the 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 backyard and the patio and all that stuff was kind of up on this hill, and the house is down here. So she and I went down to the house to get some food and stuff, and so you know I'm I'm getting all loaded up with trays of food and margaritas and all this stuff and I'm trying to get up the hill and she stops me and says I got to tell you something I said what and she said you've caused me to believe in God again I'm going really (laughs) (laughs) but you know what if I had if I had done the rigidity and the black and white and the legalism and all the stuff sometimes that goes with, with staying in stage two too rigidly too long, it wouldn't have worked. So I'm going to tell you this about stage two. Everything that we learn, the truths of prayer and discipline and Bible study and all of the God language and all of that is so essential. But we will hit limitations. It's like if you stay a toddler that needs time out and a playpen and all the rules forever in rigid black and white ways. Because then we hit another limitation. And that's this. We will have life experiences. Life experiences. That the formulas fail. In an immature stage, and I don't mean bad, but I mean beginning stage, we learn truths. And the truths are that obedience leads to blessing. That is true. Bill said he's had 30 years of it, 40 years, however many years. And it's true, and we start to trust that. And obedience leads to blessing, and prayer changes things. And we know the truths of God, and it changes our lives, and all of this stuff. But what happens is, just like a literal child sees it kind of in black and white, we turn some of these truths into formulas. And we think, if I do it this way, then God will bless me and good things happen. And you're being faithful and you're doing everything right. And then you have a life experience that doesn't fit the formula. You're faithful and do everything right and a spouse goes sideways. You're faithful, you dedicate your children to God And you do everything you can do. 
and then one of them goes sideways. Or you pray and the business fails, or the company has layoffs, and you've even been witnessing in the marketplace. Or even worse things. My spiritual parents, the couple that brought me really into the faith and have nurtured me and are praying for us this morning, that have walked with me since college, two of the most faithful, faithful servants and most loving servants of God. They've got a church down in South Louisiana. And they lost their son to cancer. And if I know anybody that's lived out the truth, it was them. And you have had life experiences like that. So what happens then is the security goes to insecurity with the formulas. And we go to stage three and we begin to question. And we begin to doubt And stage three, I should have put the name up here, is I call it the desert, where we are not in the promised land that we thought anymore. It's, 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 does, it's not working, and we go over here, and we're doing the things that we're supposed to do, but we're still in pain. And the formulas aren't relieving everything. It's not as black and white. And life doesn't fit in the box that the simplistic formulas have for us. And so then, after I've been depressed sometimes, right? You've, some of you have known this, and you've tried all of this and God's simple truths, I'm still depressed. I remember when I was in stage two and I was, I was first l- launching into my career as a psychologist before I even went to graduate school, I got a job in a psychiatric hospital. And I was so excited because I was going to go in and I knew the truth. And all these depressed people, I'll just tell them that God loves them, has a wonderful plan for their life. We'll empty this place out. <laughs> it was that simple. So I show up the first day for my job and I walk up to the front desk and I meet Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> and I'm so excited and she's doing some things and can't talk to me quite yet. And I look down the aisle, the, the hallway. And this woman steps out of the room, and she's a patient. She was a missionary who had come off the field, a little missionary bun on top of her head and a pink bathrobe. It was early in the morning. And I looked at her, and I went, there's my future. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help people. That's a real patient in a hospital. I'm going to have, this is, and I was so excited, and I was so certain. And then she stands there, and I'll never forget this. She's standing there. She takes her pink bathrobe. She rips it open, and she says, I am Mary, Mother of God. And I had an epiphany in that moment. (laughs) And still see the letters written across the sky. It said this, this is going to be harder than I thought. (laughs) And you know, that's what happens when the formulas fail us, we go into the desert and we begin to question, well, well, I thought, you know, well, obviously she knew God loved her. But she still struggled. So we find sometimes this takes us that the external formulas didn't work and we have to go internal. And sometimes we have to face things we've never faced. Sometimes even as a result of the obedience of step two. After I'd been out um, of school and in practice for 
few years. And throughout school and, and in, in the early years of practice, I'm kind of a model builder, as you can tell. I like to work with concepts of growth and all that. And I was doing a bunch of this stuff, and I was talking to people in organizations and all of that. And, and gradually I got asked to go speak. And would you come speak to this group or this church or this, that, and the other? And I would say, no, I don't do that. And they would ask me again. I'd say, no, I don't do that. And no, I don't do that. And the reason I didn't do this, and I just said, you know, act like I was busy or something. But frankly, the reason that I didn't stand up and talk in front of people, I was over the top petrified, afraid to do any kind of public speaking. Could not do it. And not only could I not do it, and I mean literally could not do it. I wouldn't even thinking about I, w- I wouldn't even think about learning how to do it. I just would not do it. And so I had found security by basically just saying I'll never do that. And then something happened. Well, before I tell you what something happened, I'll, I'll just give you an illustration of this how serious it was. I was a, a good student, you know, in high school I was kind of an A student, and I almost didn't graduate because of this fear. The high school graduation, kind of like one of the requirements was you had to give, in English class, had to give an oral report for the semester in front of the class. And I told the teacher, flunk me. I'm not doing it. I'll go play golf. I'm not doing it. And fortunately, she let me give the report to her after class. But that's how deathly afraid I was. So roll the clock forward. I'm out there, you know, working and doing all this stuff. And I'm in my room one night, and, I mean, it'll sound like I had aluminum foil on my head, but um, I will tell you the truth as I know it. God came into the room. And it's one of those experiences. I haven't had many of those in my life. I've had a few. But God was in the room, and he visited me, and he talked to me. Now, I'm a psychologist. When people say, God, talk to me, I hand out pills, but this really happened. <laughs> and God, it's, it wasn't audible, but it was an experience that I don't know exactly how to describe. But he told me two things. You will write and you will speak. And I knew it wasn't descriptive, it was prescriptive, it was an order, and I had to obey it. And I was petrified. The writing part didn't bother me. I didn't know how, but it didn't bother me. The speaking part, I'm not doing that, but I have to do that. Because this was so clear, when God does that, I knew that if I didn't, he would smote me. <laughs> so I had to do it. So I had to launch out, and I didn't even know how to do this. And then I was still afraid, and I was petrified, and then I had this next experience. I was in the gym working out, and a guy walks up to me, and he says, Are you a Christian? I said, Yeah. He said, I need to talk to you. I said, Why? And he said, I'm a pastor, and I need to talk to you. So we went next door to a coffee shop, and he sat down, and he said, Look, you're going to think I'm crazy, but in the gym, God spoke to me something about you and I have to share it with you and it's this you are to begin speaking for him and he is going to open some doors and you're to walk through them and the reason you haven't done it up until now is because of fear and it has to do with some things that happened in your childhood 
but you've got to walk through this door and you've got to overcome that fear. And that's all he gave me. As I started to walk through this desert, I found that I did have to go internal because as I took the steps and I said the formulas, they didn't work because what was happening was I had had a lot of trauma that I never had dealt with. And I had to walk into the internal pain. And you know what you find in the desert when the formulas don't work and you walk into an internal pain? You find two things. God is there. And the further you go into the desert, he meets you. And we know from the story of the Bible that you don't have a formula that makes you feel good. You know what he does? He gives you manna every day. And it's one day at a time. And if you've ever been in the desert, there's not a lot of hope. For some big future, you're doing it a day at a time, and he gives you what you need only for that day. And God is there. And the other thing about the desert is we don't go alone. That his body, his people, come and join us. So here's what I would share with you about this. I know from having been there multiple times, as Bill said earlier, we learn that God is there. And we also learn that the little formulas don't work, but we learn something else. As we go through this, here's the discovery that launches us to stage four. We learned that this truth that we learned over here, but we began to question because it was in formulas. We learn in stage four, what I'll call worship, that the truth is true. Everything we learned over here is true, but... We learn it in a principal way and not black and white rules. We learn that God will guide me, but that doesn't mean that I won't have any pain and struggle. We learn that he'll be there, but that doesn't mean I won't fall down and skin my knees. And we also learn something about this truth that it's embodied in love and that love makes us understand how to do the truth better than we knew in stage two. So you have some stage two people say to Jesus, it's the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And he said, that's right. But love would say, even on Sunday, you get your donkey out of the ditch. You're supposed to go to church on the Sabbath. If your kid is sick, you're going to take him to the doctor. We believe the truth, but love begins to mature it. And in stage four, Here's the biggest one, I think. Faith and trust in God trump security and certainty. Because over here, it was the certainty that made us feel secure. We go into uncertainty here in stage three. But then when we come out, uncertainty leads to more trust, not doubt. Paul says in Romans 9 and 10, when he's describing God's plan, that he can't even figure it out. He's going, how unfathomable is this God? And it causes him to worship. And so the uncertainties of life in stage four don't cause us to doubt anymore. They cause us to fall deeper into the hands of a loving God. And like Job, when he was going through his struggles... He said, even if he were to slay me, even if he slayed me, I would trust him. When you get here 
at some point in your life, and this isn't linear, we're all in kind of all of these stages in some form or fashion. I got my stage two parts, especially if my kids give me grief, I can kind of turn into the military psycho. And we just have different parts all the time, but here's the deal. God is there in each stage, and he will take you to the next one. And I'll close with this. Um, you guys are, I've told you this, you're, you're like my second home. And I'll be here next August. And, I, you know, that's about the intervals I see you. But I think of you. And as I think of you, I'm going to be praying for you that next year, wherever you found yourself today, for you stage oneers who might be very successful looking for more or a purpose, or you might have hit bottom but you've never gone through the door, or you just know you need forgiveness, I'm going to pray that you take that step and you reach out to God because he will catch you. And in stage two, people, if you're learning all this stuff, then learn it with fervor and learn the disciplines. But don't be a wacko Christian. And don't drive your friends away because they might not be in a place where that works for them. But you learn the disciplines. But at some point, you're going to have to begin to see how these grays It's not black and white, and there's these grays and complexities and traumas that don't fit into the formulas. You're going to have to take a step of faith to take God into those areas of struggle in your life, and you're going to have to keep walking even when it doesn't work. And I implore you, go into the desert, grab somebody's hand, grab God's hand, but don't go back. Keep going through the desert because what you're going to find, and I will pray for you there, and what you're going to find is that you're going to find God is there and he is true. And for those of you who have had this experience where you trust him now with everything, I will pray for you that now that you know that he's there, then let that do to you what it did to the disciples. It caused them to go further into the world and not be afraid because they knew that as they reached out with the love of God, that God would empower them. And I will pray that for you and for this church. God bless you guys. Thanks for having me. Stand, everybody, please, for closing prayer. Once again, one of the reasons I appreciate uh, having Henry here is because uh, he has insights about these kinds of things that uh, I don't have. And Henry, you helped us again to see faith uh, in a way that's very instructive and hope-inspiring for all of us. And uh, you left your family again this week to come and be with us. So let's thank uh, Henry one more time.
You know, we built this church in the early days. We rented the movie theater 37 years ago because we wanted people who were in non-faith to be exposed to the love of Christ. That was the whole dream of this church, is to work with people in non-faith status. And it's still the dream of this church. If you're here today and you could identify with this, I mean, we're delighted you're here and want you to stay here so we can help you during this stage. And uh, if you've walked through the door of faith and become a Christian, don't ever look back or look down on people who are in non-faith. You were there once. Don't forget about what it feels like there. And we should all carry in our hearts concern and love for people who are in non-faith. I mean, they're going to need God at certain points in life if they don't feel like they do yet. Someday that's coming. So, I'm really glad that as our church grew, a lot of us you know, became Christians and then we got the disciplines down, all the stability and security associated with this. Also very glad that God has taken thousands of us a little further in the journey and I've watched many of you, and I myself obviously have been through the desert many times. When you're here, it feels like you're never going to get out of it, but you do. And you hope you'll never go into it, but again, you know, but sometimes you do. But each time you kind of go, God will meet me there. Friends will be with me there. And I know many of you, when Henry was talking, you're like, I know this stage. This is the stage of wonder beyond the rules, beyond the formulas, just go, I think God's going to be faithful. I think he's going to guide my life. I can love him even when I can't figure stuff out. And I can go confidently into a world that's very complicated because I have the hand of God. He'll help me out. So whatever stage you're in, gang, we're glad you're here. We're glad that we can do the journey together. And so let's pray now. Uh, Henry can greet people for maybe 15 or 20 minutes uh, afterwards if you want to have a brief chat with him. Let's pray. God, we're very glad that we have weekends like this weekend where we get reminded at the communion table that we have been washed clean from wrongdoing. We can leave this building knowing that we've had the sacrament to remind us That as far as the east is from the west, so far have our transgressions been removed from us. And that great passage where it says in the scriptures, uh, their sins I will remember no more. Divine amnesia over our sins because they've been cleansed through Christ. Give all of us that sense of freedom of knowing that our, our, our slate has been washed clean. We were reminded of that today. I pray that in the car and the rest of the day, we'll have conversations about these stages of faith. We'll talk to one another about it. And that your spirit will talk to us through these conversations and that we'll grow. So God, we're very grateful to be uh, gathered here today and look forward to our next gathering too. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone agreed and said, amen. Blessings, everybody.